Back at it here on the Chief Zone. Farzine Vesugian here with you. Thank you for downloading and listening to another edition of the Chief Zone podcast. We're happy to have you along this week. It's been a crazy week for Kansas City sports fans. Uh, by the time this podcast is out, the Kansas City Royals have either clinched the ALCS or have packed their bags and gone home for the offseason. Hopefully not the latter of the two. Hopefully not the latter. I uh, would love to see the Kansas City Royals extend this season, especially with the way they came back on Monday afternoon. Uh, fans still raving about how the team came back. So uh, hopefully the, uh, the the Royals can give sports fans here in town something to cheer about because the Chiefs have just been really struggling. I mean, it, it's been tough. But there's an opportunity to turn it around this week against a, a Vikings team that, in my opinion, I thought was going to do a lot better this year. We'll preview the Chiefs and Vikings uh, in this edition of the Chiefs on Podcast. And we'll, before we get into that, we'll also go around the NFL. I've got three topics that I want to get into from around the league. Uh, before we get into that, I want to remind you all, if you haven't done so, check out the last episode of this podcast. We had Dr. David Chow, uh, a former NFL head team physician for 17 seasons with the San Diego Chargers. Great guy, great guest. On our show this past week, he came on to touch on the Jamal Charles injury with us a little bit. So he shed some insight on that, uh, which is something that you definitely need from a doctor's perspective, especially someone who's been in the NFL for a while and has seen these injuries and has dealt with them quite a bit. So be sure you guys do check that out. Uh, I asked him if he thinks Jamal Charles can come back next year in 2016, being 29 years old. So you'll definitely want to hear Dr. David Chow's thoughts on that. Coming up next week, though, Jay Binkley from 610 Sports Radio. Uh, he is scheduled to join me uh, for the for, for the recap episode. Uh, he'll be on here for a few minutes to talk, touch on the six games that the Chiefs have had uh, so far, which obviously has been a disappointing uh, six-game start, whether the Chiefs win this weekend or not. Uh, I, I know Jay's definitely disappointed. He thought there would be more from this Chiefs team, and it'll be Fun to talk with Jay. Uh, Jay's a big football guy. He really is. So we'll definitely have fun talking to Bink next week. Uh, he ho- he co-hosts the Day Shift from 10 to 2 on 610 Sports Radio and also part of the Chiefs postgame coverage for 610 Sports. So we'll have him on our show next week. Real quickly, before we jump into around, our Around the League segment, uh, a couple reports that came out uh, this week, which we didn't touch on on the last episode, the Chiefs had worked out Former Saints running back Pierre Thomas and also former Texans running back Ben Tate. Uh, obviously, in the light of the Jamal Charles injury, the uh, torn ACL, they decided not to go with any of those guys for now at least. That could change later on. The Chiefs decided to promote Spencer Ware to the 53-man roster. He won a Super Bowl as a backup with Seattle his rookie season. That year, he was drafted in the sixth round from LSU, won an SEC title in 2011, with the Tigers, was named to the second team All-SEC the same year. Also played baseball for the Tigers. Didn't do too well, so uh, it looked like it was a good idea for him to pick football rather than baseball. Entered the draft, was dra- uh, was drafted by the Seahawks, eventually made his way to Kansas City. And I don't know if we're going to see too much of Spencer Ware in, in this upcoming game against the Vikings. Niall Davis, he saw some minimal action this past week. After not uh, getting a touch the past couple of games, uh, and obviously that was due to Charles' injury, and Andy Reid hinted uh, earlier this week that there's a chance that Anthony Thomas could handle some duties as a running back. He did that a lot at Oregon, was was very good at it, also known for special teams, of course, 
as a punt returner and kick returner. Uh, but uh, I think I think it's going to be a mix of guys. Look, you're not going to replace Jamal Charles. There, there's just no way of doing that. I think the Chiefs do have guys who can step in and fill in for Charles, but it's going to require a combination of guys. Uh, DeAnthony Thomas, I think very similar to Charles' skill set, as is Niall Davis, but I think Charles is, a, or pardon me, Thomas is a more elusive guy, uh, a guy who can catch and run, uh, obviously a reason why he... Uh, was listed as a wide receiver. The Chiefs had scouted him as one. They moved him to a wide receiver uh, after drafting him. That's how they, they scouted him. But I think this is, uh, I mean, D'Anthony Thomas, look, he got a touchdown this past week. That's great. But Thomas hasn't really done uh, a lot for the Chiefs as a wide route. So they definitely want to see him uh, in the backfield. And that's not to say he won't line up as a wide receiver either. Uh, and obviously running running backs line up in different formations, different places all over the field. So they have that luxury with DeAnthony Thomas where he can be a wideout and a scat back. But I think the Chiefs are going to use him more as a running back because they need to fill that void for Charles. Uh, Sharkandrick West, a, a guy who I haven't mentioned yet, uh, and obviously has second on the team and touches and carries on the ground. Uh, I'm sorry, carries and yards on the ground. But the thing that surprised me is how much they've used him over Niall Davis and DeAnthony Thomas, Thomas being a wide receiver, sure, but uh, gosh, you have to wonder what is it that, that the Chiefs see in Sharkandrick West that they don't see in Niall Davis, or what we don't see, I guess. Uh, don't get me wrong, though. Uh, Sharkandrick West definitely earned a spot. We saw in the preseason, very impressive preseason from Sharkandrick West. Uh, it's it's surprising to see the Chiefs were really high on Niall Davis. And it is this current regime that to- that drafted Niall Davis out of Arkansas. So where the Chiefs stand with Niall Davis, uh, at least pre-Jamal injury, I don't know. But right now, it, it, I mean, Niall Davis definitely has some value. It's just he, he's finished with the same yard per carry average each season, uh, a three and a half. He did well stepping in for Jamal against the Broncos early in the game when Jamal got hurt with that uh, ankle sprain, and then the following week against Miami when the Chiefs picked up their first win that year last year. And then, of course, on Monday Night Football when Charles returned and also split, basically split carries and duties with Niall Davis, both just rocked the Patriots on the ground. So we've seen some flashes from Niall Davis, and I've said this before, flashes are nice, but you've got to see some consistency in these guys, and we haven't seen that from Niall Davis on the ground. They are a really good special teams return guy, which, again, we haven't seen so much of that this year from from him, too. We've seen more of DeAnthony Thomas on kick returns, which is very surprising, but I think this is where now you have to consider this. DeAnthony Thomas and Niall Davis are both return specialists, so you cannot rely on those guys to carry the ball so much. Obviously, let DeAnthony Thomas do his pun returns, but let Niall Davis go back to being a returner on kickoffs because I think there's a good shot you see all three of these. I'm not saying all all three are going to get 10 carries in this game. Someone's going to get probably 15 carries. Maybe Niall Davis or DeAnthony Thomas gets five, and then the next person gets one or two. I mean, everyone's going to get involved one way or another. Maybe there are two guys who have very similar carries maybe they, they each have nine or ten carries and then the third of the of the three ends up with three four maybe five I mean that's what it's going to take to have to fill in for Jamal but there is one player who I think has got to step up for the Chiefs with Jamal's absence and I'll tell you who that is later in our preview segment with the Chiefs and Vikings for now let's go around the NFL 
All right, I, I, I've got to touch on this. The NFL, I, I've said this before. I love the NFL. I love the games, just like you all do. But I think we're all in agreement that we don't like the people who run the league. And this is evident because Steelers defensive end Cameron Hayward, he was fined for wearing eye black honoring his father, former fullback Craig Hayward, nicknamed Ironhead. He battled cancer and died in May of 2006 in Hayward. Uh, uh, Cameron Hayward, that is, wore iron head under his eyes, which translated to a $5,787 fine. Is the NFL uniform policy that strict? In case you forgot, Jamal Charles wore 29 on his helmet in the Pro Bowl. Now I get it, it's the Pro Bowl. Penalties are enforced a little bit differently. That is a very different game. But I still imagine that the uniform policy, I mean, things of that nature, I still assume that's the same. I mean, player, NFL players get fined for wearing beat heads, headphones. I, and I get it. They have a contract with Bose, but the players don't give a damn about that. They don't. In fact, the players don't know who the NFL is under contract with. And I know it sounds weird being employed by the NFL, but... I mean, this is the kind of job where you don't focus on who the NFL is sponsored. I mean, what, what partnerships the NFL is with. The players are focused on something else. And I, I recall a few years ago, when in Monday Night Football, the same game where Philip Rivers fumbled the snap, Brandon Carr and I believe Flowers also both had red socks, plain red socks. A lot of teams have different color combination socks. Some of them have stripes. The Chiefs traditionally have those stripes, so multiple colors on their socks. Brandon Carr and Flowers each had plain red socks, and there was some controversy brewing and discussion that those two could have been fine. The Royals recently, and I know this wasn't a game, but they honored those two firefighters from the KCFD, which, by the way, thoughts and prayers. Firefighters have a very difficult job, and it's so nice to see the community really stand up and, and be aware of these guys. KCFD, they wore some KCFD shirts during batting practice on Tuesday. If the Chiefs were to do that during practice, do they get fined? I don't know. I, I, I'm really wondering if the, if the NFL is that strict. Bad call by the NFL. Just a really bad move. It's not like Hayward was promoting anything bad for you know, once remembers that. Have him with him. Who knows? Brandon Whedon, quarterback filling in for Tony Romo for the Cowboys, is quote-unquote pissed that he is benched for Matt Castle. Oh, man. Just the thoughts I have from a Chiefs standpoint on this. I would be pissed, too. Matt Castle's been a journeyman in the NFL. Nothing's really gone his way since... The 11 wins with the Patriots and winning a division with the Chiefs. It's been it's been rough for Matt Castle. It's been rough. He's he's been a journeyman. I feel you, Brandon Whedon. So does every single Chiefs fan in town. One last thing, and I'll make this quick. The Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, an article came out on ESPN.com. The Bengals are not satisfied with just one postseason victory. Now the Bengals haven't won a postseason game ever since drafting Andy Dalton. And the Bengals, by the way, they have the longest playoff drought of any team. The Chiefs have lost most consecutive playoff games, but the Bengals haven't won a playoff game longer than any team. I believe it's 23 or 24 years. I don't have that in front of me. It's just a couple of years, three years longer than Kansas City's drought of a postseason win. 
And I like this by the Bengals. And, and look, obviously the Bengals on the staff right now, none of them were on the team playing when the team last won a postseason game. But look at the Royals. And I don't I don't mean to go back to the Royals again, but look at just how excited that team was knowing it was the first time in 29 years that the team got to the playoffs. They acted like they were a part of that organization at the time. They knew how special it was to get back in. I like the mindset the Bengals have right now. Not just one postseason win. For, for Look, when you're in situations like this, when you haven't won a postseason game in a while, if the Chiefs went to the playoffs and won a postseason game, just one postseason win, and, and lost the following week and got blown out, obviously that'd be a disappointment and a sad way to end the season, but Chiefs fans would be fine with that because it's been a long time since we've seen that. Look at a team like Florida Gulf Coast a couple of years ago when they had that nice run, uh, that nice Cinderella story going into the Sweet 16. That was their Final Four appearance for them, being able to make it that far. There are teams that don't have such high standards because they haven't had success in a long time, so they're okay with even minimal success in the postseason. One win. But the Bengals, complete opposite of that. Even though they have the longest drought uh, without winning a postseason game, they're not okay with just one postseason where they want the Super Bowl. And I love that mindset. I think it's great. And if the Chiefs ever get to that point, I don't want it to be, hey, just one postseason win. It's been since 1970 since the Super Bowl trophy has been hoisted by the Chiefs. Let's change that soon. I'm not Obviously, I'm not expecting that this year, but let's have that mindset soon because the Chiefs could really use that. It would really lift the team. We saw how excited the city was when the team went 9-0. Obviously, we see how ecstatic the city is with the Royals last year and this year. And hopefully, hopefully the Royals won because if if this comes out after the the game's over, obviously we're recording this before the game, but hopefully they won because otherwise what I just said sounds crazy. But even then still, just look how excited everyone is. Win or lose for what what's about to happen for me at the time I record this, in your case listening, what has happened. It'd be nice to see. I, I still feel this is a football town even though everyone's in baseball mode. Uh, because I still feel, even though, and obviously you you can't compare a nine and zero run to a in the and football to a World Series appearance, but that nine and zero run, I still remember how excited everybody was. Sports bars were back in business, uh, clothing stores, Rally House, those places. They, I mean, they were selling things just off the roof. Everyone was really into it that year. And obviously, the same thing going on with the Royals right now. Obviously, Buffalo Wild Wings, Applebee's, all those places, jam-packed. Clothing stores definitely selling more than they ever have. But I'm sure if if the Chiefs had a Super Bowl run, I'm sure it'd be bigger than in terms of excitement with Kansas City's championship run. Both would be great, don't get me wrong. But I think this being a football town... It would be more exciting to see the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I mean, the Super Bowl is the... Well, it is what it is. The Super Bowl. It's the mecca of all sports here in America. I mean, it's the most watched event in the world. That'd be nice to see. Props to the Bengals for having that mindset. Chiefs and Vikings, let's go ahead and jump into it. No Jamal Charles, which will be interesting because we're so used to seeing Jamal Charles the past three years. Obviously, in 2011, we saw the Chiefs without him. But the past three years, he's been the only reliable offensive player. And it's arduous to see a Chiefs offense without Charles in their team's presence. 
So it's going to be interesting to see how Andy Reid prepares this offense and how Alex, how Alex Smith and the rest of the offense show themselves on Sunday. Charles, by the way, just some numbers to throw out. It shows how this really hurts. Sixth in to- total touchdowns uh, outside of quarterbacks in 2014 with 14. He was first in the, in the league in that category in 2013 with 19. Had more touchdowns that he was a part of than Eli Manning and Aaron Rodgers, quarterbacks. And I know Eli had a bad year and Aaron... Rodgers, everyone's entitled to a step back year, but still, that's impressive to see Jamal Charles have that good of a season, better than some quarterbacks when it comes to just total touchdowns being a part of. He was fourth in the NFL in rushing yards going into week five before the injury, ninth in the NFL in total yards per game from scrimmage among all non-quarterbacks. So this just shows you how uh, big of a loss it is for Kansas City. Not that I needed to show these stats, but I think it really does help put things into perspective. And I've said earlier, there's got to be another player who steps up. And no, it's not any of the running backs. Travis Kelsey's got to step up for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's personally my favorite player on offense coming into the season. I loved what he did last year for the Chiefs and how he just showcased basically what we all heard about him coming out of Cincinnati. Obviously, we couldn't see him in his rookie season because of the knee injury. So in his 2014 season last year, which was essentially his rookie year, had a really good, a really impressive showing. And to start off the season, I mean, he was giving Gronk a run for his money. Six passes caught for 106 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Since then, the, in this order, for every game, the, the rest of the four games, this is what he's had with receptions and receiving yards. Four catches for 58 yards against Denver. Six catches for 80 yards against Green Bay. And I... I think it's a little misleading because of the second half and how big of a blowout it was by then. But look, stats are stats. That's what they are. We, we No one's going to have an asterisk at the end of the season showing that they had this many yards in garbage time. I mean, look, they, they are what they are. Following week against Cincinnati, five catches for 49 yards. Also had that fumble. And then this past week, three catches, 35 yards. Travis Kelsey has been a non-factor for the Chiefs ever since that Texans win. When the Chiefs, when Travis Kelsey scores... The Chiefs win football games. When Travis Kelsey doesn't score, the Chiefs lose. I'm not saying that's a direct correlation for Kansas City's success, winning or losing. But I think that says something. The Chiefs need to be more elusive. Sure, they can use Charles, or at least before his injury, but this is an opportunity for Kelsey to really step up. Obviously, they don't have a running back to rely on, heavily at least. So they've got to expand and look elsewhere. Jeremy Macklin has stepped up the past couple of weeks. He's starting to build some rapport on the field and some chemistry with Alex Smith. But that's kind of changed with Travis Kelsey. It's been opposite. It's been uh, fewer carries for him or touches for him lately the past couple of games. So if I have to pick an offensive player that's really got to step up, it's Travis Kelsey for sure. I mean, he's got to really turn it around and, and help carry this offense a little bit. Surprisingly, though, even with or without Jamal Charles, this offense has been able to function and move the football, and I think they can still do so. Alex Smith is ninth in the NFL in passing yards, and some might think that's misleading, but it's really not. The offense moved the ball really well against especially good defenses like Cincinnati and Denver. And again, look, I know the Green Bay game, those were misleading sets, but again, there's evidence that this Chiefs team can move move the football. They did it against the Bengals and the Broncos. The problem is, was, in those two games, I should say, the offense failed to score a touchdown because they either had to settle a field goal, which was the case every time with Cincinnati, 
or they turn the football over, which that was partially the case with Denver, uh, turning the ball over when they were in the red zone, or settling for a field goal. So this Chiefs offense can move the football. This is a very good football team moving the football. They just haven't been very successful when it comes to scoring. Defensively for Minnesota, I think this is an opportunity for Minnesota, especially without Jamal Charles. I'm sure the Vikings know where their holes are, and Mike Zimmer has done a really good job with this team defensively. And I think it shows, especially in the past, where he's been a coordinator at uh, Dallas, Cincinnati, also a former assistant at Mizzou, uh, also uh, a defensive assistant or a coordinator, I should say, for the Falcons too. So uh, he's definitely paid his dues and has made it to this point for a reason. And defensively for the Vikings, I mean, there are some things the the Vikings or, or the fans as well should feel good about. Uh, Everson Griffin, let's start with him. Three sacks on the year. The defensive end leads the team in sacks. And quite honestly, it wouldn't be out of the question if he equated his season total in this game. Uh, Brian Robinson can also invade the pocket as well. He's one of the better 4-3 defensive ends in the NFL. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, he has the third most quarterback hurries among all 4-3 defensive ends with 16. Other guys uh, up front for the Vikings, Anthony Barr, um, he might be the best 4-3 outside linebacker this season. He can definitely play against the run and defend the pass. He has a sack and an interception so far this year. So this is a guy who who definitely the Chiefs have to keep their eye on and be able to block either if he's coming into a, a pressure Alex Smith or if he's waiting in the backfield and the Chiefs need a, a downfield block. I mean, that's a guy who the Chiefs want to nullify from play so that way they can get their offense going one way or, an, or another. Defensive tackle Livinol Joseph is very good. Another player worth mentioning. And also inside linebacker Gerald Hodges, another key contributor for the Vikings on defense. Uh, Vikings uh, draft pick so far this year, Trey Wayne, the cornerback, and also the linebacker Eric Kendricks haven't really been key contributors so far. Those were their first two picks. And as a matter of fact, their third draft pick, uh, Daniel Hunter, uh, a defensive end. Uh, I mean, at that point, though, in the third round, you're not expecting third-round picks to be instant contributors. I mean, keep that in mind too, but uh, you know, for a team that draft that use their first three picks all on uh, the same side of the football, all on defense, they haven't really had a lot of success defensively. Obviously they passed on Marcus Peters for Trey Waynes and understandably, understandably so with what Marcus Peters went through off the field. But uh, even then, I, I think Minnesota right now, not too pleased. It's still very early to judge these rookies from a career standpoint. But again, so far this year, from both Waynes and Kendricks, nothing so far. But given that it is against a Chiefs offense that's now really one-dimensional, it does make you wonder if some of these guys could step up and uh, kind of find a turning point in their young careers so far. Couple notes for the Vikings defense: seventeenth in total defense, twenty-sixth against the run. Again, I mentioned Alex Smith and this Chiefs offense, how they've been able to move the football. I do get curious, though, even though without Jamal Charles, is this the crazy opportunity where Sharkantrick West, uh, Niall Davis, and or DeAnthony Thomas just have a field day on the ground against the Vikings? Uh, again, I know Andy Reid runs the West Coast offense, but it kind of does make me curious how Andy Reid approaches this game on the ground. The thing about the Vikings, though, they are allowing only 18.3 points per game. That's the eighth best in the NFL, and that's really where you have to give props to Zimmer as a head coach. I mean, that's really where he's helped this team the most and has really helped them be a good defense. Sure, you're going to allow a lot of yards, and I think the total yards 
statistic. It, it means something. Don't get me wrong. But I also think those statistics can be very misleading. You can be the 32nd ranked defense in the NFL. And usually when, when, when we say a 32nd ranked defense, we're talking about total yards allowed. That doesn't mean you are the worst defense. Again, 17th in total events, that's not great. But when you look at how many points they're allowing, that's the statistic that matters the most in the NFL. It's it's scoring. So, sure, you can give up all those yards, which, again, the Chiefs, a great example right here, both with the Vikings defense and the Chiefs offense, Kansas City's offense has moved the ball very well, but haven't been able to score. Opposing teams have been able to really move it on the Vikings, but, again, haven't been able to score much. Adrian Peterson playing very well in his first year back. He's eighth in the league in rushing yards with 372 yards. Jamal Charles is actually behind him right now, but obviously that's going to change. Teddy Bridgewater, and I think so much has been made of him. A lot of different things said by scouts and and by fans as well, and as well as the media. Bridgewater has been disappointing. And here's my thing: I think I thought the Vi- I had the Vikings as a dark horse team. I, I, I both the Chiefs and the Vikings were my dark horse teams. Uh, the Chiefs for the AFC and the Vikings for the NFC. I had them both winning the division uh, for their respective places. But look, I, I feel like the Vikings, I feel like they could have really given Green Bay a run for its money and just haven't been able to do that. Uh, and Bridgewater has been kind of disappointing this year. Two touchdowns, two interceptions, has thrown for just 774 yards. Uh, now, I, I've been looking online, and I'm not a big fantasy football geek. I don't spend a lot of time on my team. Uh, but a lot of people are saying, and here's advice for you fantasy football geeks out there, a lot of people are saying that Teddy Bridgewater could be the next guy to show up against Kansas City, which a lot of quarterbacks have been able to do. So if you are looking for a fantasy hero, maybe Teddy Bridgewater is your guy. I actually had him as my backup, uh, but I do have Aaron Rodgers, so I'm in good hands. Uh but, it, but I think this is the point from a real football standpoint. This might be the place where Bridgewater finds a turning point and tries to get something going with this offense because this hasn't been kind of like Kansas City. It's been a one-dimensional offense. It's been mostly Adrian Peterson. They only have uh, touchdown receptions to two players. Tight end, uh, and I'm drawing blank on his name right now from Notre Dame, uh, Zach Randolph. And then uh, Mike Wallace, the longtime Steeler, also a former Dolphins player. So... It's, 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 it's been very weird for the Vikings to not be able to distribute the football more. They also have Cordero Patterson, a very elusive and explosive guy as a special teams guy and uh, a, a wideout, and even a little bit in the running back. By the way, I said Zach Randolph. I meant to say Kyle Rudolph. That's who I was uh, thinking of uh, from Notre Dame. Uh, but, but the Vikings, either way, haven't been able to get the ball much to their pass catchers in the end zone. So that's definitely something that they want to look for and change. Um, one other note, uh, I wanted to mention Blair Walsh, uh, if this game comes down to the wire and Blair Walsh has to kick a game tying or winning field goal in the end, uh, and if it's long range, uh, Kansas city fans might have a reason to feel good. He missed a 40 yarder earlier this year. He's six for eight on the season and he has not made a field goal from 40 plus yards out. I mentioned he had one field goal from the 40 yard range. Uh, I don't know exactly where, but he, he attempted one, missed it, hasn't made it uh, so far this year. Uh, so Blair Walsh, not really a threat uh, when it comes to making a field goal from long range. As a matter of fact, neither team is a threat when it comes to takeaways either. Uh, the Chiefs only have four, the Vikings have eight, so that's uh, below league average in the NFL. 
overall, I think the key factor in this game is number one, Kansas City's defense has been very disappointing this year. Can Teddy Bridgewater exploit those holes in this football game? Which I think he'll be able to do. And I don't doubt that Kansas City can move the football, whether it's on the ground or through the air. My, if I if I had to pick one side, I'd say through the air because I don't have a lot of confidence in the other running backs. Now Davis, DeAnthony Thomas, I know they've had good games in the past, but you're, you're talking about a lot of inexperience there, whereas we know what we're going to get with Alex Smith and the rest of that passing game. At the same time, given how Alex Smith has done, maybe Chiefs fans would feel more confident running the football more, being run, a run-heavy offense this week against the Vikings, which I totally get. You could go either way with this one. But either way, however you find a way to move the football, can you find a way to punch it into the end zone? Which, again, the Chiefs have not been able to do so much of this season. That's been the biggest factor, in my opinion, that has hurt the Chiefs in games this year and why they're on a four-game losing streak and haven't won a game since week one. I mentioned Travis Kelsey. That's a guy who's got to step up for the Chiefs. And if he does so, maybe Kansas City has a chance to snap that streak and pick up their second win of the season. I really do like Minnesota's defense, though. Again, I know statistically they haven't played well together, but the pass rushers, Griffin and Robinson, I think they're going to have really good games, especially against Eric Fisher and Donald Stevenson, who haven't been very good this year for the Chiefs with that offensive line, those exterior tackles. Uh, Anthony Barr, again, I mentioned earlier, a very good linebacker, as well as uh, is, uh, Gerald Hodges. Uh, by the way, I, I didn't mention these two guys, uh, the two quarterbacks for, uh, for for Minnesota, Munderland and Newman, both very good. But I think where they really shine the most is with their safety, Harrison Smith, who uh, came out of Notre Dame. And I remember Harrison Smith coming out of Notre Dame. I was really high on Harrison Smith. I was hoping the Chiefs could have came away with him in the in the draft the year he entered, uh, but instead he went to the Vikings. And it's worth mentioning that this game will definitely feature the two best safeties in the NFL in Harrison Smith and Eric Berry. I remember Harrison Smith coming out of Notre Dame. I, I was really high on this guy. I thought he was a great prospect, and I was hoping the Chiefs could have came away with him. Imagine having Eric Berry and Harrison Smith in the same secondary. I mean, that would be impossible to go. I, I think Kansas City would have next to the best secondary with the Seattle Seahawks. By all means, uh, th- this Vikings defense is not the Legion of Boom, but I think they're uh, they're definitely underrated too. Munderland, Newman, two good cornerbacks, and you have to consider Trey Waynes. If he shows improvements along the way, this Vikings second, they're going to have a really good secondary. And then you consider Harrison Smith a great cover safety, uh, probably the best in the NFL next to Eric Berry. Uh, th- this is a really good secondary that, and again, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Mike Zimmer for how he's built this defense the past couple, two, you know, the past two years. I mean, th- last year and this year, he's done a really good job with it so far. And this Vikings defense, uh, the secondary, along with the pass rush, that's why they've been so good. I know losing Jared Allen, who of course came from Kansas City in the trade, uh, that's definitely not something they wanted to lose, but. They've moved on and have found a couple of good defensive ends and some good pass rushers in Griffin and Robinson. And you've got a good secondary to play along with it. When you have a strong pass rush and a strong secondary, that bodes well for success. That's why Seattle has been so dominant the past two years uh, with its defense because of the pass rush and the secondary. And obviously the secondary has gotten more of the spotlight because of Camp Chancellor, uh, Sherman, 
Earl Thomas. You've got a lot of good guys there. And I think the Vikings, who they have, kind of compares uh, to those guys. And again, by all means, Seattle has the best secondary in the NFL. But I think Kansas City and the Vikings, those are two teams that also have very good secondaries as well. I think next year, if Eric Berry does return to the Chiefs, which I think he will, I think there's a legitimate conversation we will have in which the Seahawks, Vikings, and Chiefs have the best secondaries in the league. I I think we'll get to that point sometime next year, but for now, uh, both teams have good secondaries. I know Marcus Peters hasn't been too hot, especially in the last three games, but uh, he's shown some uh, some signs of success, and with Teddy Bridgewater struggling, I think Marcus Peters can get back into it a little bit and and show some uh, bring some excitement to the defense at least. Unfortunately, I don't have the Chiefs winning this football game. I've got the Chiefs losing in this one. Uh, I think both teams can get to the scoreboard a bit. I don't think it's going to be a shootout by all means, but the Vikings will pull away with this one. My final score prediction: twenty-four to seventeen. So. Uh, a one-possession game. I think it'll come down to the wire. If this is another game where the Chiefs allow a second-half late fourth-quarter comeback, it's really going to get tough uh, to to not criticize Andy Reid and the coaching staff. It was tough to see last game. Andy Reid has taken responsibility for it, and rightfully so. But, I mean, taking taking responsibility, I mean, let's start seeing a difference in this team. The Chiefs definitely want to see it. And uh, they've got to find a way to play well for four full quarters. I, I mentioned earlier the offense not being able to score after moving so well. That's been a big factor. But, hey, and not being able to play well for four quarters, play consistently well for 60 minutes, that can also be a big factor. And, and what frustrates me the most, before I sign off here, I think the Chiefs have such easy adjustments. I mean, they, the weaknesses the Chiefs have are easy to fix, and they just have been, I mean, the, team, the Andy Reid and the, the players, the staff, they haven't been able to find a way to fix it. That's been the toughest part for me, watching the Chiefs this season. I've got the Vikings winning this one, 24-17. to 17. Appreciate you guys listening to this podcast here on the Chiefs Zone. Once again, if you haven't, please do check out my interview with Dr. David Chow in the last episode. Great interview, gave some great insight on running backs, ACL tears, and also Jamal Charles being 29 next year. Can he come back strong? Listen to that podcast if you haven't. Next week, we will have Jay Binkley from 610 Sports Radio here with us to recap the Chiefs through six games. Until then, I'm Farzee Vesugian. Enjoy the week. Enjoy the Chiefs game on Sunday. I'll talk to you next week. Take care.